Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Well, we were in a series on the Holy Spirit. If you are new with us and we've been working our way through who he is and his work in the world and his work in the believer's life and We've been unpacking the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we unpacked uh, the first nine in verses 4 through 11 in 1 Corinthians 12, and and now we're kind of picking up the other ones that are listed in Scripture and in the other lists that we have of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so our text here this morning is 1 Corinthians 12 verses 27 through 28. That'll be our beginning text, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 28. And then the title of our message is The Gift of Administration. The Gift of Administration. Well, as we get started, it has been said that everything rises and falls on leadership. And so it is super important that we get this gift that we are going to unpack today right. It has huge implications. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm always the last one there. Verse 27. It begins. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, we unpacked that last week, that whole concept of the body and us being individually members, if you remember. Verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping. We unpacked helping last week. And then here is the next one that Paul mentions here administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And so, the gift of administration. Now, the Greek word administration means to govern or to rule. It is sometimes called the gift of leadership. The King James Version translates this word government, so the gift of government. But Actually, literally in the Greek, it's, it comes from a naval term. It actually literally means to steer a ship. And so the NIV actually translates that word guidance. And so if you're thinking about a definition of the gift of administration, it is this. The gift of administration is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to guide, to lead, to govern the people of God in the ways of God in order to accomplish the purposes of God. It is God's anointing to have favor with the people of God in their hearts, in their ways, to, that they see that God is working in and through and they are in favor of following and seeing what God is doing for His kingdom. Oswald Chambers, the great theologian and 
teacher said this. Take a look at the screen as I read it. Many people regard leaders as naturally gifted with intellect, personal forcefulness, and enthusiasm. Such qualities certainly enhance leadership potential, but they do not define the spiritual leader. True leaders must be willing to suffer for the sake of objectives great enough to demand their wholehearted obedience. Spiritual leaders, listen, are not elected, appointed, or created by synods or churchly assemblies. I love that word, churchly. <laughs> it's not the way we talk anymore. God alone makes them. One does not become a spiritual leader by merely filling an office, taking coursework in the subject, or resolving one's will to do this task. A person must qualify to be a spiritual leader. Often truly authoritative leadership falls on someone who years earlier dedicated themselves to practice the discipline of seeking first the kingdom of God. Then as that person matures, God confers a leadership role and the spirit of God goes to work through him. When God's searching eye finds a person qualified to lead, God anoints that person with the Holy Spirit and calls him or her to a special ministry. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. That's in the middle of your Bible. If you turn to like Proverbs or Psalms, Proverbs, keep turning and you'll hit Isaiah. Isaiah 9. Verses 6 through 7 is what we'll take a look at. But as we come to Isaiah 9, and we think about the role of leadership or the role of government, the first mention in the Bible about government is found here in Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 here is a prophecy. And it's a prophecy concerning Jesus, a prophecy concerning, listen, his first coming as a baby in a manger, and then his second coming when he comes again and establishes his kingdom on earth. So take a look with me here at verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we see when it comes to God's order, 
that the highest and best form of government, listen, is a monarchy. The most right and the most efficient form of government is a monarchy, but the key is, and this is a big key, in order for that to be so, it requires a good and perfect king. And so listen, when Jesus Christ comes again and He establishes His kingdom upon the earth, hear me, friends, He is coming and He is ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I praise God for that. Now, when we think in terms of government, we think about the purposes of government. We think in terms of, you know, some of the purposes is for them to, uh, to encourage the, the common good, for them to preserve domestic tranquility or peace, for them to establish and enforce a rule of law for the welfare of society. Essentially, to sum it all up, to eliminate evil and preserve that which is good. Now, throughout history, mankind has tried many different forms of government and of course, in the United States, we have what is called a republic under a constitutional form of government. And as a republic, we have what is also a representative form of government. That is, we the people elect men and women in order to represent us to enforce those ideals and values that we have to make them into laws that govern the affairs of our nation. And so if they represent us, then they should be representing our, idea, our ideals and our values of what we think is best. And yet we do find ourselves in a culture increasingly that is calling good evil and evil good. And so ultimately, we've even entered into a stage where there is a, a cancel culture to that which doesn't fit the narrative of of the powers that may be, the powers that are ultimately led by the power, right? The, the prince of the power of the air. That is, we understand we are not fighting a battle against flesh and blood, right? When we see what is happening in our world, we need to understand there, there are gods in control, little g, demons. That's why it looks so dark. That's why it looks so evil. That's why it's so confusing. 
But what happens, for example, is when it comes to um, the homosexual community, when it comes to them standing up for the rights, then it, you know, they're so brave. They're, they're so noble. They're, they're so commendable when they, when they in the public square stand up for their rights and they, they, they want to know what the candidate's position is going to be on the legislation that affects all their alphabet soup issues. But when it comes to Christians, and we want to know uh, how a candidate is going to stand up for moral issues, and, and we want to kind of stand up for, for our rights, everybody cries foul, you know, flag on the play, you know, separation of church and state, man. And all of a sudden, our concerns, our conversation is, is somehow out of bounds in this public conversation. Now, I want us to understand that when it comes to us encouraging and affirming advocating for our values. Listen, barring the accusations, we are not making everyone become Christians. We are not forcing our will on everyone. We are not advocating for a state church. We don't want that. We believe that people are only saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and that has to be a free individual choice. It's not, it's not done by government mandate. It's not done by government policy or by some state church. Listen, that would kill the true church. We are for the separation of church and state. And yet we also need to realize when we're talking about these issues that when it comes to legislating law, please hear me, when it comes to legislating any law, you are legislating someone's morality. You are legislating someone's will. You are legislating someone's worldview of what they think is best. Period. And so listen, we believe that the Judeo-Christian worldview is best. Not only that, in fact, we believe it is absolutely essential for a truly free and prosperous nation. And without it, our nation will collapse because everyone will do what is right in their own eyes. 
end of the book of Judges. And that is what we see ultimately happening before our eyes today because the pillars that supports our freedom are the values that come from a biblical worldview. Not everybody, we're not trying to make everybody Christian. We're just saying, hey, if you want to choose the right values that promote freedom, these, these are the ones that have proven to work. And so what does that mean? Thanks for all that. <laughs> you know, it means this ultimately. Wherever God has placed you, friend, do what is right and let the chips fall where they may. As we find ourselves in the culture that we are in today, we need to have an eternal mindset. We are living for a higher court. We answer to a higher audience. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, do what is right where God has placed you and let the chips fall where they may. And listen, sometimes the world will see it and recognize it. That's great. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll oppose it. Doesn't matter. God sees it. He will reward you far beyond whatever you endure on this side. Well, let's continue. Turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Ultimately, start in verse 24, but before we dive in, I want to say that, listen, there have been many forms of government tried throughout the history of mankind, and listen, they have all been unsuccessful. That is, we have proven ourselves, mankind has proven themselves incapable of governing their fellow man, listen, without corruption and greed and ultimately destroying whatever form of government there is. Now, there is only one government that God okayed and established for man at this time. And it is called a theocracy. A theocracy just literally means governed by God. And originally... God told Israel, I'm going to govern you. And ultimately, when they wanted a king, they wanted to be like all the countries around them. And God's like, I'll treat you right. I'll be righteous. I'll be fair. But, you know, don't do that. Stay under the theocracy. But no, no, no. They wanted a king like everybody else. And the king ultimately taxed them and took them to war and but originally, God established a theocracy with Israel. He governed over Israel. In fact, the word Israel means governed by God. 
In doing so, God appointed Moses as his leader. God governed, but Moses represented God to the people. He operated in the gift of government or the gift of administration. Originally, however, here in Deuteronomy 5, when God led the people out into the wilderness before the Mount Sinai, God actually first spoke to all the people. And he spoke through a great fire and a great thunder. And listen, it, it freaked the people out. And so they all took a step back and said, hey, Moses, you know, you, <laughs> you go talk to God for us. <laughs> and listen, whatever he tells you, we'll accept and we'll do it. Which, of course, if you read the Old Testament, they didn't really follow through on that either, did they? <laughs> Just like us. We're stiff-necked too. But anyway, take a look at verse 24. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. You ever hear people today talk like they're talking to Jesus, like they're shaving and supposedly Jesus is in the room with them? I don't think so. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And so it was understood that God spoke to Moses and then Moses spoke to the people and whatever God told Moses, they received as God's rules or how God desired to govern his people. Now turn back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Verse 16 and 17 is what we'll take a look at. But Numbers chapter 11. Here in Numbers chapter 11, we see Moses carrying out what was established in Deuteronomy. He is governing the people of God by the Holy Spirit. But he is at a place in governing all the people that he has become overburdened and, and he is ultimately he's breaking under the pressure of it and he's complaining to God and he's saying, God, I didn't give birth to all these people. That is, these aren't all my kids. <laughs> There's too many problems, too many complaints. I can't handle it. 
you know, he's, he's basically handing in his resignation to God. And yet God, in his kindness and patience, has a different idea for Moses. And so take a look at verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And so here we see these 70 men having the Holy Spirit come upon them, and ultimately the Holy Spirit giving them the gift of administration, the gift of government, and they then help Moses in governing the affairs of the people. Turn to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. In 2 Samuel 23, what I want to begin to show you just a, a few examples, not all of them, but in the Bible, when it comes to the role of leadership or the role of government, it gives certain rules. And the first rule is seen here in chapter 23, verses 2 through 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. This is King David talking here. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. In other words, King David had the gift of prophecy as well, the utterance of knowledge. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth, on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And so the first rule that if you are one who is governing the people, one who is in the role of leadership, that God's word would speak to you, would speak to me, is that person needs to first and foremost fear the Lord. And listen, when a leader fears the Lord, it's, it's just good. Their leadership is good, and it is good for the people. That's what this verse describes. On the other hand, when that person does not fear the Lord, that leadership isn't good. They do not lead well in 
they will ultimately have corruption, greed, selfishness, and destructive elements to their leadership. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we'll ultimately look at verse 42 through 44. But the context here in Mark chapter 10 of this verse that I'm bringing you to is James and John are talking to Jesus and basically they want to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus in his coming kingdom. In other words, they want the two highest governing positions that Jesus can give, right? And so they're, they're vying for a position in, in the new kingdom and, and the rest of the disciples are super mad at them because they didn't think of it first, you know? Now, ultimately, we know that in Acts that the Holy Spirit would come upon all the disciples and they would be granted the gift of government, the gift of administration as they established the new church. But here, Jesus is instructing them for that future moment and he is giving them a picture of what that should look like, of what leadership looks like, a different picture than they have seen or experienced in their lifetime. So take a look at verse 42 through 44. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must also be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so God, God, Jesus here, takes our picture of authority and leadership and literally flips it on its head. And that's the beauty of Jesus, isn't it? Doesn't it amaze you to think that Jesus, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who literally sustains all things, the one who deserves all worship, the one who could wipe anybody out in a second, it is also his nature to be so kind, so merciful, so gracious, so humble. that he would forbear with his disciples, that he would teach his disciples, that he would wash their feet, that he 
would become the servant of us to the point of death to save us from our sin, to save us prideful, rebellious, foolish people. Isn't he amazing? What an amazing Savior we have. And so as a leader, because he not only saves us, he's in the business of making us like him, right? It's the sanctification process. This is what we said. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the believer. He makes us like Jesus. Is now we are to lead like Jesus. Now we are to be Jesus in that role, which looks totally different from everyone that we see. And we will be at odds with people and it won't jive and it, it won't fit. And, you know, sometimes it'll feel like it doesn't pay to do the right thing in our culture and it feels like the wicked prosper and all that kind of stuff. But we're not trying to be great in this kingdom. If we want to be great in his kingdom, we got to live by different rules. We got to live by different power. We got to die to ourselves so that we have nothing to lose here then we get dangerous. I've heard, my dad was in the military, and I've heard military men talk about once they finally get to the point where they resolve that they're ready to die, that's when they become dangerous because they've already decided I'm not coming back. They've already decided I'm paying the ultimate price. And you cannot stop a person like that. That's where we need to be. Dead to ourselves. Alive in Jesus Christ. Crucified so that we might live for Him. And, and you'll be dangerous and you will also be a target. But it looks really unsexy too. It's really unsexy to be a servant of all. <laughs> a lot of times when the Lord convicts me of my complaining and griping, He goes, well, what are you complaining about? That you're being treated like servant? Oh, okay. You want to complain to me about that? Okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> I should be better. Wish I was. Still, still unfortunately, a, a work in progress. And I pray for the next generation. I pray for you all that you'll do better than me because um, I'm a blockhead. Well, let's continue. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. 
verses 6 through 8 is what we'll look at. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And this particular text is another treatment of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And, and Paul's the one that wrote this one as well. And we'll unpack some of the gifts in this list too as we move forward. But the gift of administration here in Romans 12 is called the gift of leadership. Remember I said it's also called that at the beginning. And here Paul refers to it as the gift of leadership. So take a look with me. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so here we see the third rule of a person who would be in the role of governing or the role of leadership, and that is they are to lead with zeal. That is, it is a reality that it is very easy for leaders to become discouraged. It is very easy for them to give up. And so Paul, by the Holy Spirit, very specifically says here, we can't do that. We must persevere if we are to please our Lord in our leadership. We must persevere if we are to please the Lord in our leadership. And so I encourage you again, friends, don't give up. Our God is always greater. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Whatever you go through here will be far outweighed by the glory you experience there. Giving up is not an option for us. God's grace is enough. Yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I know it doesn't look like it or feel like it all the times. doesn't matter. We stand on the Word of God. We stand on the promises of God. Oswald Chambers says this again in regards to leadership. Take a look on the screen. Our Lord made clear to James and John that high position in the kingdom of God is reserved for those whose hearts, even the secret places where no one else probes, are qualified. God's sovereign searching of our hearts and then His call to leadership are awesome to behold. And they make a person very humble. One last thing must be said. A kind of warning. 
if those who hold influence over others fail to lead toward the spiritual uplands, then surely the path to the lowlands will be well-worn. And so, my friends, may I encourage us to pursue the spiritual uplands, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. Listen to walk by the Spirit so that we do not carry out the desires of our flesh to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight our paths. Let us go with Him. Let us live higher. Listen, not by our efforts, not by our strength, not by our wisdom, not by our power, but wholly, wholly dependent on His. Let us surrender our lives to Jesus. Let us put Him on the throne of our hearts fully. Let us not reserve little things for ourselves. And let us be empowered then by His Spirit to be Jesus. Ah, oh, there's more, friends. There's more. There's more love to be experienced. There's more wisdom to be experienced. There's more power to be experienced. And I need it. I'm looking around at the world going, God, we need it more than ever. God's wisdom is greater than AI, and we're going to need it. God's power is greater than all our scientific and medical discoveries. Not that that's not all good, and God uses that, but we keep bumping up against the goofiness of all that. We need His love because it's easy for our hearts to grow cold in a culture like this, isn't it? We need, we need capacities of love way beyond what we have. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc. 